0: Well, if you turn with me now in your Bibles as we come to the preaching of the Word of of God, we are continuing, as we work through the book of Philippians, this letter of Paul to a small church in what is known as uh, modern-day Greece. But we're reading this letter and been focusing these last few weeks upon what is known as the hymn about Christ, Verses 5 through 11 about what Christ has done in humbling himself on our behalf. I'm going to read this morning in verses 5 and all the way to verse 11, but our focus is going to be on verses 9 through 11 today. Hear now the word of the Lord Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ascends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your law. Lord, help us to see ourselves as we are truly in your eyes. Help us to see ourselves as we are truly before this text this morning. And Lord, help us to see that we have an exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who is a Savior to us this morning. Draw us by Your Holy Spirit to walk from this text in obedience to You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. These last few passages that we have looked at over the previous month is all about the pathway to glory. But as we have seen that this pathway is not the likely pathway to glory that we often assume. It comes through humbling ourselves. We took a small interlude last week and looked at the book of Luke and a section there about Jesus at this meal with Pharisees and all these people that gathered there together. And he called them to this same very thing, to humbling themselves. This pathway to glory, as we were told there, comes through making ourselves low. In fact, it comes through making ourselves to the lowest place. Humbling ourselves to the lowest possible condition that we could think of. And we see the same thing here again presented to us. But now we come to that section of glory, of exaltation, and what it means for us that Christ was exalted because of his humbling of himself in this life. I'd like to look at this text in three different ways this morning. The fact of his exaltation, the very fact that Christ has been exalted, I'd like us to look at the reason for his exaltation and lastly, the goal of his exaltation. The fact, the reason, and the goal of Christ's exaltation. Now, if you have been watching any sports recently, like I was last night, watching a football game, you may have seen a commercial come on that was a little bit interesting. It showed families fighting against each other, people weeping, and then this image popped up or this text pop up about Jesus is the one who gets us, that he understands what we're going through. And I thought this was interesting, that they just present Jesus as somebody who understands what we're going through. This is very true. Jesus does understand what we're going through. I thought, what's the point of this? What is the point of saying that Jesus understands us, that he gets us? So I did a little research last night to figure out what this was all about. Well, there's an article in Christianity Today that wrote about this campaign to tell the world that Jesus gets us. This is what Christianity Today said in their article. Video ads are just one way that this campaign called He Gets Us is accomplishing its goal. Take the tailgate tour, a commercial that they have, for example. This year, he gets a staff staff, interacted with football fans at some of the country's most iconic game days, hosting photo booths, giveaways, and most notably, challenges that inspire small acts of confounding love, like taking a photo with a fan from the opposing team. These efforts underscore an important truth. Jesus' life of hospitality, connection, and friendship should be emulated. That's a wonderful thing. I thought, yes. I mean, how humble is it to sit together and take a photo with a fan of the opposing football team? Is that really a great act of kindness that Jesus is trying to inspire us to do? You may have your own thoughts about that. I certainly have mine. But I thought, I need to dig a little deeper. What is this thing that they're trying to do? So I went on He Gets Us website, and I went to their About Us and to find out more that they say. And this is what they say. We believe He, Jesus, was fully God and fully man, which we would affirm as well. By design, our media messages focus on His humanity. Since we've learned that these resonate with the widest possible audience, we're simply inviting them to explore how things might be different if more people followed his example. And that's what they say. This is the goal of the He Gets Us campaign, is to get more and more people to follow the example of Jesus. He identifies with, he understands what we're going through, and he sets an example for us. This is the message that this campaign has for the world. Be like Jesus. And if we be like Jesus, if we act like Jesus, if we live our lives like Jesus, then this world will be a much better place. Is that the point of what Jesus has done? To come? To simply give us an example? Is that what we are here to do this morning? Is simply to tell you, how to live your life to be like Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to do. Certainly we should be like Jesus. This is exactly what Paul is telling us to do in this, in this passage. Have this mind among yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. But is this all that we need to understand about Jesus' coming? And we need to understand first and foremost the fact of Jesus' coming exaltation. See, Jesus, or Paul here, is not simply proclaiming a feel-good story simply to motivate Christian obedience. Humble yourselves in order to serve one another. That's not all that Paul is doing here. This world, throughout history, from the time Christ ascended into heaven, and from then on has spiritualized or moralized as we see this campaign does, the mission of Jesus. The point is not so much whether Jesus rose from the dead. It's not whether Christ is on the phone. Yes, those things they affirm are true, but that's not really the main point here that they would say. The point is not, yes, we need to really focus on the fact that Christ is alive today in heaven sitting at the right hand of God the Father. The point is, Jesus is an inspiring figure. But for Paul, the so-called story of Jesus getting us is not the point. See, none of that matters if Jesus is not actually in heaven right now. And that's what you and I must understand. A very basic fact about the Christian life is that Jesus... The God-man is in heaven right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It is the greatest reality in the entire universe around which our entire lives should revolve. Everything that we believe about who we are and who God is, is centered upon this one single fact that there is a man beside the throne of God, on the throne of God. And that should shape everything about who we are and what we believe. Yes, Jesus gets us. Yes, He gets us. But it is far more than that. And the fact that He is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty changes everything. But Paul continues in this passage to tell us about what God has done for Jesus he gives us the reason for his exaltation. He tells us the reason why Jesus was exalted. I'll start in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The reason why Jesus Christ was humbled or exalted, is because he humbled himself. We can read that quite plainly on this text before us this morning. Just like we saw in the Gospel of Luke last week, when people came to this meal, they gave cheap, lame excuses why they couldn't come to this banquet feast that Jesus was telling them about. is what Paul is telling us this morning today. Jesus is the one who has humbled himself before this world. And that is why God has exalted him to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But we might look at this and think it's obvious. Okay, yes, I get that Jesus is exalted. That's all well and good. This might seem like a very plain point. But I think it's important for us to reflect on this for a moment. See, people think, I want to go to heaven. I think heaven is a place I want to go. Jesus is there. Sure, he's a good example for me. People talk about heaven in an idealized way. I think it's innate in human nature to want to go to a place where everything is at rest and at peace. It's something that we aspire to as people in society, to give hope to people, to say there is an afterlife. All religions in this world have some kind of view of this. that there is a heaven. And as we saw last week, that people think that this is a place that they want to go. But is it really? The picture that heaven, or that the scripture portrays us of heaven, is not one that comes to mind for most people. When people think about heaven, they have this idea. This mental picture of what it's going to be like when they get to heaven. And this passage for us tells us what heaven is going to look like. It tells us the reason why Jesus Christ was exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And that has implications for how we think about what heaven looks like. It is Jesus Christ exalted. Yes, yes, I get that, Nate. That makes sense. That's clear from this text. But I don't think we always think very deeply about what this means. The reason that God exalted Jesus to the highest place was precisely because He humbled Himself to the lowest possible degree. The reason God exalted Him is because He is now the only one qualified To rule in heaven. Somebody who is perfectly humble. Somebody who is so humble, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. The only one qualified to rule in heaven over all creation, heaven and earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, the only one who is qualified to do that is the one who gave his life away for the sake of others completely. And got nothing in return in that life. That is the one who sits at the center of heaven. And this is why heaven is not a place that sinful men would choose. Were they to understand that at the very center of heaven is a humble king who gave his life away, they would turn their eyes away. It's hateful to them because in heaven, on the throne of God, they see the death of themselves. Christ is not one who sought to exalt himself. He gave himself away. And he is seated on the throne as one who shows that to all of his creation. The one who God highly exalts is the one who gives himself away. This is precisely what we see in Revelation chapter 5, when John has this vision of the heavenly throne. That's what John says. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the seals, that he can open the scrolls. And between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders, I saw, what does John see? A lamb standing as though it had been slain. At the center of heaven is Jesus Christ in a crucified body, proclaiming to all his creation that this is what God exalts, Paul had just completed telling us to have the mind of Jesus Christ ourselves. The very mind of the Son of God who is God Himself, who reflects exactly the mind of God, who gives Himself away freely and willingly, no matter what it costs Him. That is the one who is at the center of heaven. See, we tend to think of giving away ourselves as a temporary circumstance. But Paul is showing us here in the exaltation of Christ that what Jesus shows us and what God demonstrates is that the giving away of yourself is not just a temporary thing. It is not a temporary facet of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It is the very nature of God to give himself away for the sake of others. And that is what is at the center of heaven. It is precisely what God himself exalts before all men. Giving away yourself. And it is what we are called to ourselves. It's what Jesus told his disciples time and time again. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. If fallen men will look upon heaven and see it as something undesirable, giving all kinds of excuses to turn away from it, who is it that will see heaven as something to be desired? Is it simply those who see Jesus as a good example to follow? It's those who see themselves as lost in their sin. Do you know who Jesus comes for? Jesus comes for people who admit that they have nothing. Who admit that they have no glory. Who admit that they are covered in the filth of their sin. Covered in shame and in disgrace. And admit Like the prodigal son, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Those are the people who will look at heaven and see Christ seated on the throne and see, this is what I want. This is the only one who can meet my need. And that's who Jesus came for. That's who Jesus comes for. Those are the people who will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ when He comes in His crucified body to raise them to heaven. They will not be embarrassed by Jesus when Jesus comes from the the throne and looks for them and finds them and welcomes them and embraces them. That is the reason Why God has exalted Jesus Christ to the throne. Because that is who he is. Giving his life away. Rescuing the poor, the weak, the needy in spirit and in soul. Who know that they have nothing to give. There's one last thing for us to see in this passage this morning. And that is the goal of his exaltation. Paul tells us that he is given a name. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is this name? The text doesn't actually say what is this name that God gives to Jesus. What is this name? Scholars have debated about the different names it possibly could be from what the Old Testament says. Paul is here alluding to, if not almost entirely quoting a section from Isaiah chapter 45. What is this name? Well, first of all, we must understand that here we have a throne that he has been exalted and now everybody will come down and come before Jesus Christ at the end of time and bow down before him or confess that he is the Lord, either willingly or unwillingly. And we must understand who this, what this throne is and who sits upon it. Ultimately, this is the king of Israel, the ruler over the people of God. 1 Samuel chapter 8 says this, and the Lord said to Samuel when the people rejected God from being king, it says, Obey the voice of this people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The question for the people of Israel was how will God rightly restore himself to be king Over his people. It was the question that God even posed to his people How will I be installed as king? It is what King David himself looked forward to. But here Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 45, where the Lord tells his people what he's going to do Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, and from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. God had promised to his people that he would restore himself as the rightful king. And he has done this in Jesus Christ. This was the goal is to restore God's rightful rule over his people that they continually rejected time and time again. And he has done this In Jesus Christ, uniting God and man together to be king over Israel, his people. To be the ruler of the whole creation. And it is now to this Lord, this ruler of Israel, this ruler over all the nations, over all the kingdoms, over all creation, over things heaven and earth, that all will come to confess and openly declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord. All will bow before Jesus. It is not simply that Jesus is a noble figure to emulate in your life, it is far greater. He is the King to whom everyone will bow, either now or at the end of time when he returns you will bow before King Jesus. Every one of us will bow before him. Whether that is from a heart that looks upon him lovingly, awaiting him eagerly, or as one who says reluctantly, yes, I see that he is Lord, but he is not my Lord. The question for you today is, before whom do you bow today? Jesus Christ is on the throne. Do you bow before Him today? But there is hope in this passage for us today. There is hope for us. It is the fact that Jesus Christ is exalted. And what this means for us who believe and trust and rest in Him as our Saviour is that we too will be exalted. See the greatest objection that our hearts muster. And comes from my heart and I'm sure it comes from your own. If I humble myself like this, I will get nothing in return. And what I want you to tell you unequivocally is yes, you're right. In this life, you will get nothing in return. You are now beginning to understand what it means to follow Jesus. It means to take up your cross and follow Christ. Jesus tells us to follow Him, to obey Him, means we follow Him no matter what it costs us. Cut off your hand, get out, gouge out your eye. Hate your father and mother. These hyper, hyperbole statements that Jesus gives to us. And the hope that we have today is that even in this life, if we completely give ourselves away in service to others and receive nothing in return, even if, like Christ, we are treated by the world as an enemy, God sees. He notices. He looks down on His people and He sees. And just as God exalted Jesus Christ because He freely gave His life away, we who hope in Jesus and trust in Him, God will exalt us to sit with Christ together. Ephesians tells us that he has seated us in the heavenly places with him. That is the destiny for those who rest and trust in Jesus Christ. Our lives may be crowned in this life with shame. With humility. But God will crown us with glory. Not because of what we do. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. That he has won that for us freely. And he gives his exaltation to sinners, to undeserving people freely. It is a gift that we receive by faith. That Jesus actually saves sinners from their sins. And that is what it means for Jesus to be exalted before the throne of God. He actually saves sinners. And the proof is that He is before God the Father Almighty right now. So have hope in this life as you give your life away in service. That God sees. That your hope is not in yourself. That you will earn anything. It is that God freely gives this to you as a gift. Hope in this, Christian. And rest in Jesus Christ. Our exalted, risen Savior. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are unworthy sinners. We do not deserve to come into your presence. But Lord, we pray... That You would fill us with the hope of heaven. That You exalt those who humble themselves. But Lord, we pray You would fill us with hope that You save sinners like us. Lord, I pray that You would call us to Yourself to remember what Christ has done for us. And that He is a humble Savior even now sitting in heaven for us. I pray You would call sinners those who do not know you, to repentance, that they would see the error of their way. And they would come to Christ and bow their hearts before him and confess today that he is Lord, that he is the Savior, the one alone who can draw them and bring them to heaven. Lift our hearts before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.